So, welcome to another episode of Talking with Apples. Today, we have a special guest um, that will be talking about Kotlin with us. Um, her name is Pamela Hill. She's an Android engineer at GoDaddy Studio. And yeah, we're just going to be deep diving into Kotlin um, as a language and all its features and what it has to offer for developers. So yeah, welcome, Pam. Hi, everyone. Thank you. Awesome. So I think the first thing that comes to mind is that Kotlin is this new language that everybody's always talking about. It's like this like pristine thing amongst Android um, engineers and I think even like some JVM engineers. Um, and I kind of just want to go back to kind of a very simple question for people that maybe don't know what Kotlin is or have heard of it, but like they don't maybe know its origins or even why it's there, another JVM language, right? Um, maybe you can just kind of like tell us what is Kotlin um, as a programming language. Sure. So Kotlin is a language, um, it's an open source language um, from JetBrains, who created IntelliJ IDEA and all the plethora of other IDEs, excellent IDEs out there. Um, but Kotlin gives, what I think what makes Kotlin different from other languages is that it's really focused on giving a great developer experience. So it's helping you, um, you know, develop good quality software um, by, for example, making things comprehensible, by making your code more safe, um, by giving you a modern toolkit or modern modern language that you can work in. So, for example, it has, um, you know, all the, the high-order functions and handles with the receivers and all that stuff. But it also um, is nicely integrated with um, some some really cool tools from from JetBrains like Android Studio and um, IntelliJ Idea. So it's really there to um, it 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 doesn't specifically it's not de derived from any other language. Like for example, C came from um, C, or Java came from C right? But instead, it kind of learned a lot of lessons from a lot of languages, and it. Um, took that and sort of made this uber language <laughs> of just developer goodness. And so, um, and a lot of developers also say that Kotlin makes them really, really happy. So uh, writing Kotlin code makes them really, really happy. And um, I think that that's kind of inherent in the way the language was created. Okay, yeah, I, I've also heard that actually, where people say they actually love writing Kotlin over um, other languages, which is, I think, a very odd thing that people would say. I mean, like, I guess, like, it's it's something that you, you wouldn't think, um, you think all languages are maybe created equally, probably not. Um, but people, people actually being a lot more happy um, in their work because they're using a specific language um, is something that's really, really... Um, Great, I guess, um, for um, engineers out there. But I kind of wanted to then move on to um, how Kotlin actually became so popular. So I think there was a podcast actually that you were part of recently, which was um, Kotlin's 10-year uh, podcast. Um, 
and it's been around for 10 years but I think around like maybe five to six years now, um, Kotlin has kind of like boomed and definitely boomed in the Android community, um, especially. Uh, why do you think it's so popular there? So I think what definitely helped was Google's announcement in 2017 that Kotlin is now supported on Android, like and languages like Java and C++ was. Uh, and then a couple of years later, I can't remember the exact amount of years, but a couple of years later, it became Android became a Kotlin first um, platform, right? So um, Google is definitely pushing um, Kotlin to the forefront in in Android development. Um, so I I don't know if that really answers your question, but I think the reason why so many Android developers really uh, kind of started using it and started liking using it was, um, you know, we in the beginning, people were always talking about how, um, firstly, it, it had to do with, you know, we were getting a lot of null pointer exceptions and Kotlin was addressing all these uh, NPEs or null pointer exceptions and by creating a more safe language. But another aspect that it was also addressing was, you know, um, we in Java, we were writing a lot of boilerplate. Um, we were creating these maybe Java beans with um, these getters and setters and crazy stuff that we don't necessarily really needed. <laughs> we needed them, but we shouldn't have been writing them. And um, the point with, with that is, I mean, sure, you can get your IDE to generate everything for you, but... You know, whatever sneaky developer goes and changes stuff behind your back, you know, um, and suddenly your one plus one is not two anymore. It's now 500 million. <laughs> and um, I think what's nice about Kotlin is it's kind of, it's, you know, your getters and setters are implied versus being generated by the IDE and then you have to test and maintain it. Um so you just rely on Kotlin to do this stuff for you and you don't have to read that code ever again. It's just there. So I think um, to sum up, Android, Android developers fell in love with it, um, not only for its safety, but also for its conciseness and cons its cons comprehensibility. That's a big word. Um, but... It was creating code that was more readable, more understandable. You could um, read things easier and therefore understand things easier. And you could share your code with somebody and they'd get it. It wouldn't be like this arduous process of reading through this ton of stuff and you're like, what is this? <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's why Android developers fell in love with it. And then coroutines came along and then, you know, Stuff just got real. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, like actually, and coroutines is actually quite a big thing. Um, and I think I think one of the things that I remember a lot of people also complaining about is that like Java was kind of like moving on to getting newer features, but then like Android is also stuck um, yeah, be in like this kind of like 1.6, 1.8 um, kind of world where they just couldn't move to like Java 11 or something like that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I think at that point, I think that, that that was also kind of a thing that maybe was like persuading um, Android developers in that um, realm to kind of like, hey, we want those new modern features. Like, mm-hmm. um, why can't we get it also? And I definitely agree with you. Like, I've gone through that whole situation in Java code where um, I don't know. I don't know if you remember the the equals or the hashes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Those equals methods and stuff. And then you you decide, oh, I just want to add another property. And then you add another property like manually, and you forget forget to regenerate. And then all of yeah. a sudden, your equals methods all break. And that's just like horrible. And now you literally have like a data class that pretty much like solves all of those problems for you um, because it literally just does it for you in the background. You never ever have to see that code. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's really, really cool. And you even mentioned, um, coroutines, um, and nullability. And I think with, even with nullability, like Kotlin, um, well, I think Android in general, like that, that was one of the biggest, um, errors or crashes that people were getting in Android applications. So I think nullability is, is always a welcome feature, but yeah, like jumping into to coroutines, like, um, well, how do you feel? Um, coroutines kind of gave us a better, I guess, a better way of doing threading, um, or I guess asynchronous work on Android. Um, since I'm guessing the 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 platform way of doing it was a little bit um, verbose and not so fun either. Yeah. So. Uh, the way that I've my, – my journey in asynchronous programming has been rather strange. I think it's different from most people. So um, I started out in my Android development using things like async task, which I think is quite normal for Android developers. Then we went to coroutines and a little bit of flow um, at my previous company, and now I'm on Rx Java. And it's been quite a learning curve, learning RxJava versus it, what it was learning coroutines. Um, RxJava is complicated. It is difficult. Um, most people don't get what's happening, <laughs> what's happening there. And sometimes I have to like, beg people to say, like, listen, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you pair a program with me? So I'm, I'm working my way through a very nice book on, um, on RxJava called uh, Reactive Programming with uh, um, with RxJava on Kotlin uh, or uh, in Kotlin, um, and it's it's a great book, but it's it's you know it's a very difficult topic, and coroutines is just so much more um, obvious in the way that it works, um, and just so much like it's it's lightweight in terms of performance. But it's also light-handed in terms of ceremony. So sometimes with RxJava, you have all these different concepts that keep flying at you, and you don't really know what they are or why you're using them. But you're using a single for a single result, and that's cool. But you're using singles everywhere, and I actually I don't want to use a single. I want to use a data plus, <laughs> a data thing. Um, that I want to, you know, maybe I'm, I'm returning a point from an API, a geographical API, and now I have to use the single or this or that. And with coroutines, you, you, you're you just going to use point. Um, you're going to use your coroutine and you're going to retrieve it from the API with the suspend function, and then you're going to use your point. You're not going to have this shell of stuff that is littered throughout your code. And 
I, I think that is the like um, criticism that I have for Ars Java. It's just everywhere <laughs> in your code. Um, but to, go, to get back to coroutines, so coroutines is actually, is actually not a new thing. It was actually developed in the 1950s in assembly language. Um, so it's not a new concept, and it's it um, it's even in PHP of all languages. I was looking at the Wikipedia earlier, um, but it's it it's not an it's not really in Java. Um, if you modify a JVM, there's there's some stuff you can do, but uh, that doesn't sound like a good idea, does it? Um, no. <laughs> nope. So you, <laughs> not I guess you, you can modify your JVM, but maybe not. Um, anyway, so um, what's nice about coroutines is it's really about um, it's it's basically like, like having lightweight threads, and um, you basically have like um, you can have one thread and you sort of service many coroutines on that thread. And the way that it works is with suspending computation. So you um, you do a little operation, maybe it's doing some I.O. And most of the time you're actually waiting. So you suspend that computation or that operation and you don't block the thread. Instead, you return it back to the pool and um, it can be used again by another thread, uh, by, another, yeah, by another coroutine. And when it resumes, it will grab the the thread again and it will carry on with execution um so what's really important it does it, that is that it doesn't block the thread so it can be reused um the nice thing about coroutines versus threads is that um it's really really performant i haven't seen anything about rx java you know comparing rx java with um coroutines i don't think it would really make a difference um, because the threading sounded like it's kind of the same. I don't. I, I honestly don't know about that. But it's also super readable, and that's what I really like about coroutines, and I really, really miss, is that you're working with things that make sense. So you're not working with RxJava concepts. You're working with your own API concepts, um, and it's also like it was compatible with Jetpack libraries from the start, so you could return. Um, you could make your room um, your room function calls. You can make suspend functions. You could make your your um, retrofit uh, functions, suspend functions as well. Um, so well, um, retrofit is obviously not um, Jetpack, but room is. Um, so that's really nice and. Um, yeah, I think that's that's basically coroutines in a nutshell. Um, they've also started now kind of extending coroutines into flow, um, state flow and shared flow, which is taking RxJava definitely for much more of a, uh, you know, it's definitely giving RxJava a run for its money. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so I think I think um, you said a lot of there about coroutines, which is really really cool. Um, I, I personally also think coroutines, the API, it's really really nice. Um, it almost feels like you're actually doing synchronous programming, 
and something that like when I was in university, I did a lot of C sharp. And the thing that I always used to like was async await from C sharp. Mm-hmm. And it, it literally suspend functions feel like async await. Um, and now obviously in other languages, they're also having it and stuff like that. But I think that's kind of the concept that kind of also just makes it easier because it reads very synchronously, um, versus like, I do know the, the pain of Rx Java where you, you subscribe, you have something in one file and subscribe somewhere else. And then, um, but it gets triggered in like five other files on the other side. And then like, everything's just talking to each other. So um, I definitely know that, that from a Kotlin point of view, um, that, that that is like quite an important library, especially um, within Android, because Android um, is like from a threading point of view has been renowned to not have the greatest ways to do threading um, mm-hmm. or putting things on a background task um, um, or doing any kind of network call. So this is obviously very welcomed um, in the Android community. But I mean... Kotlin also kind of went like 1.5 um, recently, and I'm guessing this is quite a big release of a whole bunch of new features. Um, they spoke about new a new IR backend, and there was this new value classes and sealed interfaces. Um, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about like your favorite new features in, in Kotlin 1.5. Like, what, what do you feel um, excites you there? And what um, well, what do you feel could be valuable in terms of, let's say, Android development? Um, like what feature can help you kind of like do your Android development a lot better? So um, I don't think, you know, at the moment, JetBrains is really focusing very much on the infrastructure. So getting the compiler right. Um, so the compiler consists, I think, I think it's the whole compiler consists of a front end, an intermediate representation and a back end. And so the front end is kind of what, you know, where the cotton goes in and at the back end is where, (laughs) awful analogy, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's basically going to be a JavaScript back back end or a JVM back end or a, um, uh, Kotlin Native actually runs on the IR, as far as I can remember, um, the intermediate representation. So they're on these various components of the compiler is in various states of being finished. So the front end, they're still developing. Um, the IR is unstable and the back ends are in alpha with a flag. Um, so that's where they are right now. Um, and I think... The, we can't really say that we're going to get any more. I think that the focus is that they want to get the compiler stuff right so that they can build for the future. Um, you know, they, maybe they went too fast. I, I don't know. Maybe they went too fast for, their, for um, you know, developing up to up till Kotlin 1.5. And then they decided, okay, now we, we need to spend some time getting um, the compiler right. And getting, you know, I saw like a little, there's a little snippet on the July 2021, like Kotlin News. And he was saying that they were deleting like a million lines of code um, somewhere in in like a commit. Um, So I think they're working very, very hard. And um, so, you know, it's, it's, I I think that they're in a difficult position of having this very, popular language where people just want more and more features 
and um, not really understanding, hey, we also have to sometimes go back and say, okay, this part of the compiler needs a rewrite or we need to refactor this part um, because it's going to be faster. It's going to make us faster when we create new features. It's going to make a more reliable platform, things like that. And, and that's a classical computer science problem, right? Everyone always wants to go fast in the beginnings just to get that basis down. And then suddenly it's very popular and you have to <laughs> you have to go far even faster and you can't go even faster without having a stable base. So I think they're kind of regrouping now and um, I hope that you know that they are um, that they are making good progress. Um, and because I think I'm I'm pretty excited to see what, what they have next in the Kotlin roadmaps. Um, there is a a YouTube video by Roman Elizarov um, about the future of Kotlin, which was released not too short, not too long ago. Um, I would check it out. I'm not going to discuss it because I don't understand what he was saying. <laughs> um, but he was saying he was talking about meta programming and all kinds of different things. So it wasn't very concrete examples. It was very um, abstract in the way that he was talking. So I think it's for people that really understand their programming language concepts very well and um, kind of know the theory of programming languages very well. And I, that's not my strong point because that was 20 years ago at Varsity. So I just don't, don't I, I was I was struggling with that with that talk. Um, my favorite um, features is basically the sealed interfaces. So a sealed interface is when you restrict a hierarchy of an interface, but you restrict it to the same package and compilation unit. Um, and I also like value classes. Those are nice. Um, that's when you create a class that is kind of like a wrapper class, but without the performance overhead. So you can name things a little bit nicer without having performance overhead. Um, but what I also liked um, and what I saw was missing from Kotlin before is the unsigned integers, um, and you have that now in 1.5. So, um, and something that's made, that I was trying to hint at my colleagues at was the integration between Flow and RxJava um, that you can get now as well um, on 1.5. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Um, I didn't even know about that. Um, like, um, do you know how that that works? Like, or, or what do you, what happens for Flow and Rx Java to, I guess, come together and I guess be better <laughs> for mm -hmm. um, I guess for people that are like maybe uh, maybe restricted to Rx Java and kind of want to mm -hmm. um, figure out how they can use Flow. Um, in their yeah. applications. It, it seems to be like converter functions, basically converter functions that you can use to convert um, from one to the other. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Okay. And yeah, so, I think, I think the, yeah. So I think that um, it's, it's actually possible to, if your whole application is kind of RxJava E, to start using Flow maybe in a sub-module or maybe a class and then um, convert in 
something, you know, convert to maybe um, a completable or a single or whatever um, in the the rest for the for the rest of the code. So I think it's just a way to start introducing flow into the rest of your app without rewriting the whole app. Okay, well, that's that's really really interesting. Um, I definitely think that that's a feature I'll probably just check out um, in some random project. Maybe I'm sure I have a project somewhere that has some Rx Java, and maybe I can see if I can convert some stuff just to to kind of see how that all works. Um, mm-hmm. That's really really interesting. And I mean, um, we spoke about all these like IR uh, backends and frontends and all of that, and I think a lot of a lot of that talk also kind of came up when people think about Jetpack Compose um, and this whole new UI toolkit system that um, or UI interface um, that um, Google is creating for Android developers, something completely new um, versus like the old Android view system. And Compose, Compose seems to be, well, it is Kotlin first. It's written in Kotlin. Um, and I think, I think obviously this, like you mentioned previously, that this is kind of like Google is looking at Kotlin as like, you know, the future language for Android. Um, how do you, um, what's your thoughts on like Compose versus like the old view system? Um, and then also just having this thing that's like Kotlin first, like versus, I guess, well, what happens to all the people that are still writing Java, but actually want to use Compose? Like, yeah. Yeah. So I think what's nice, um, what's nice about Compose is that it's Kotlin first. So, um, well, that is Kotlin. And it gets, you get to use all the Kotlin goodness that's, um, that we know and love from Kotlin. Um, but I've been using Compose for a while now, maybe maybe a year. Not obviously not not really in production, but I've been playing with Compose since Alpha, um, and sort of growing along with the with the library or the toolkit as as it's come along. Um, I think the the reason why they chose to maybe make Compose. In Kotlin, you know, sort of like a, it's, I, I'm not really sure if you can use it from Java, is um, very multifaceted. I think, firstly, you know, they were saying Kotlin needs to be the, the main language for, for writing Android apps. Um, the, and Google is kind of pushing it. And I think the reason why they went Kotlin, got Kotlin was really that it had to do with. Um, it, I, I attended a talk by Leland Richardson at CottonConf 2019, and it sounded like they were modifying the Cotton compiler to work with um, Compose. Now, that's not something that you're going to get right with Oracle um, and Java. Um, so that I think that's number one. But number two is you also don't just get Compose for Android, right? You get Compose for, for various different platforms. Um, you even get it for a terminal. <laughs> it's not. It's not a. It's not a Google um, uh, library or implementation, but it, it it's there, and you get it for desktop and um, all kinds of other platforms. So I think I think it was a, a long term strategic 
decision to make it in Kotlin, um, both in terms of how easy it is to um, maybe get JetBrains to make a change if they needed to, and also how easy it is to um, port to other platforms or to have the same kind of um, way of write, writing um, UI code on different platforms. So I think it, it was an interesting choice and I think it was the right choice to make. Okay, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I was going to say that, like, I definitely think it was the right choice. I think, um, again, we spoke about in the beginning that there is... Uh, people love Kotlin. They love the conciseness of it. They love um, not having to write verbose code. They love the nullability. They love coroutines. Um, and people are, like you mentioned, people are happier writing Kotlin. So I think that moving in a direction where people are favoring a language um, and making that kind of like first as part of a toolkit um, is definitely something um, that is like, I'm guessing... A good move for um, for Google and I guess also for JetBrains. Um, and something that you mentioned that was really interesting was that Kotlin um, can obviously be used on multiple platforms. Um, Compose can be used on multi-platform. Um, and I mean, again, like we mentioned, like it's technically like a JVM language. So we could be using it on the back end. We could be using it on the front end. Um, um, people are creating terminals um, and all, all these kind of like crazy stuff. Um, but, but something that I think is quite also very interesting in the Kotlin slash JetBrains world um, is Kotlin multi-platform. And like, I think this is kind of, a lot of people are saying that this might be the one, um, this might be the, the, the cross-platform like tool that actually like allows people to, actually do cross-platform the way they want to, where they still maybe get to write their UI in Swift UI and then do their business logic um, in Kotlin um, and then share that business logic. Um, I don't know, maybe you can just like chat a little bit about um, Kotlin multi-platform and what your thoughts are um, on um, Kotlin multi-platform. Yeah, sure. So Kotlin multi-platform, uh, mobile at least, um, which is the one that I know a little bit more about, um, is just a way to share code between iOS and Android. And usually the kind of code that you share is either your core or data class or data stuff or your, um, uh, your domain or business logic. Um, sometimes what they say is that um, you can share your presenter, your presentation stuff, like for example, your controllers, your your um, your presenters, and your uh, view models. But I don't really agree. I, I think that that needs to be platform specific. Um, so um, then, of course, your your UIs are actually just written in your normal um, for your normal platform. Like you would write Swift UI code for your Swift applications, your iOS applications, and you'd write your Android uh, view or compose um, stuff for Android. So the way that Kotlin multi-platform mobile works is that it has different source sets. Um, so you have a shared, uh, sort of a shared source set, an iOS source set, and a um, 
Android sourcing. And what you do in your shared code is um, you create, um, you, you can basically create like a, a, it's a mechanism called expect actual. And um, there's something similar that you do when you actually invoke, when you, uh, like for example, if you use Kotlin JS, um, they use a similar kind of principle there where you have your, um, in your shared code, you have an uh, expect function that just kind of gives the signature. And then you have a um, uh, actual implementation in your um, code, in your, in your native code base. Um, and some, some other way, there's magic that links it up, them up. And so you can call from your, um, you can call from your shared code, you can call this, this function or you can call from your native code you can also call this function or whatever but um it's just a way to to say hey you know sometimes the core of our business runs the same on both platforms let's reuse this and um i think you know there's a lot of opposition from the iris side mostly that um that folks want don't you know they're very adamant that they don't want to use Kotlin, they want to use Swift, and I think it's kind of interesting because a lot of times people are saying, um, but Kotlin just feels so much like Swift, you know, they feel it feels to them like um, it's it it's it feels like the language feels similar to Swift, so I think it's interesting that there's so much kickback against it, but. Um, I was reading a very good guide by Jack Brains where they were talking about Kotlin multi-platform mobile and how to introduce that into a team. Um, and I would really recommend anyone that is maybe heading in that direction or want to talk about um, want to talk about introducing it into their like their team's platforms to really have a look at that guide. And the guide starts by saying like, hey, let's have empathy with each other. Um, you know, they, and let's go and look at the reservations that different people have and let's address them in a sort of rational and calm manner because, you know, programmers can sometimes get very emotional about, you know, we're supposed to not be emotional, but we're very emotional about technical stuff. So um, what I really liked about what, what they were saying from the JetBrains side is, you know, you can do it in a phased approach. You can start with a with a maybe um, just having your Android developers do the shared business logic, and then slowly but surely your iOS developers will start helping them and pairing with Android developers in doing that shared Kotlin logic. Um, and I think that's a very nice approach. You know, it's it's saying like, hey, Android developers do know Kotlin a little bit better or better, so let's. Um, let's start out by delegating that task um, so that we can move fast. But then as, as time goes by, let's start involving the iOS developers and start getting them involved and pairing them with Android developers that are skilled at this language and get them to work, work together. Um, so that guide is really like recommended reading and it's also very good for, um, there's almost like a FAQ on the kind of questions that you'll get, like performance or um, 
just like how how does this interoperability or this this concoction of um, Kotlin multi-platform mobile work? Um, and I think that that will allay a lot of fears that comes from the iOS side as well. Okay. Yeah, I think I think um, probably a lot of people probably have reservations. Um, also, because maybe they also just like the language. Like, I mean, I would like I like writing Swift code. Like, Swift code's pretty amazing. Um, and I also really enjoy Kotlin. Um, Kotlin, I really like as a language, also, um, especially in Android. Uh, so, I think I think it just comes down to to maybe people really wanting to also thinking that they're getting maybe taken away from a language that they feel a lot more comfortable with. Um, but um, I think yeah, I think the platform. The Scotland multi-platform mobile um, thing um, is is probably going to be something that is a lot more approachable for people than maybe let's say um, some other cross-platform type tools that have maybe been around um, previously. Um, but yeah, and I think and like we said, like Kotlin is not only like we said on like Android. Um, there's obviously the Cotton Model platform, but they even make their own kind of like little backend toolkit. Um, I don't know. I don't know um, if that's really the right word for it, but uh, technically I'm, I'm speaking about Ktoya, um, which is pretty much just a framework to create um, backend, like um, backend projects um, in Kotlin. And yeah, maybe we can just um, dive a little bit into what Kato is, because I think Kato is something that's pretty interesting. Um, I found it really, really easy when trying to just play around and use it um, for like some small projects and stuff. Um, and I'm guessing it could probably be a great solution for um, people trying to build backends fast and then obviously scale after that. Um, so yeah, maybe we can just jump into that a little bit. Yeah, so Kato... Interestingly enough, is not necessarily just a backend. It's also a front-end client. So you can use Ktor for uh, like JavaScript, you know, Kotlin JavaScript and Kotlin JS or on the JVM or so on. So it also has like a like a uh, a client. But in in gen in general, um, Ktor is used on the server side. It's a very nice framework. Um, it's a synchronous framework for building things like uh, microservices or web apps. Um, it, you can use a whole bunch of things with it. It's very um, extensible. And um, I, have, I, I, I get the idea that it's really good for, um, for building and scaling rapidly, you know, um, for building something simple. Um, and it it's also not not really scary, you know. Um, I come from an enterprise Java background, and <laughs> that stuff is scary. <laughs> um, you know, you have to know a lot of concepts. You have to struggle with XML. You have to struggle with all kinds of things, and it was near, it was always a little hairy. So, what's really nice about Ktor is just um, how little you really need to know to actually get going. And how much um, the tools that goes with it, like IntelliJ IDEA, actually help you. So, for example, um, you can, as a mobile developer, decide, okay, um, I just want to create a little 
ano, um, maybe you're you're a learn ranger, um, Android developer, and you need a backend, um, but you don't necessarily you know want to say like, hey, you have to hire somebody else to do the backend. You know, there was a very nice talk by Dan Kim on Kotlin Conf. 2019 called um, Kato or Fear the Backend No More. And I thought that was you know, very apt because um, you don't, it's it's not it's not magic, you know, Spring Boot and Kotlin uh, Kato is not magic. Um, but I think sometimes us as, as uh, mobile developers feel a little intimidated by what whatever is happening on the backend. Um, we feel that it's, it's very far removed from it, but it's just Kotlin. Um, so what's nice about Ktor is um, you you basically build an application in modules and modules are built up um, of you basically just create um, a whole they used to be called features but now they're called plugins. Um, so you install some plugins uh, on your on your with with your Kotlin code and then you configure them. And you basically help create some roots, um, some H, some HTTP roots. So a get root for a specific path or a put path for a specific specific like looking thing. And it's very easy to you know get your parameters and um, do fancy things like authentication and so on because Ktor handles most of it for you. Um, and I've built a couple of Ktor applications. Um, we had a really great talk by Wissi uh, Moyo at GGG Johannesburg, where I'm also one of the organizers um, on Ktor, and he was using hashing node and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, or is it hashing node, HashiCorp? I think hashing node is much better control. Yeah, I think HashiCorp, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. Um, I think it's pretty, like, you can get pretty fancy really quickly, but you can also, it's also kind of easy to um, get something something small running and deploy it um, with Heroku and, you know, just go crazy. And it's it's easy enough for um, any developer, not just a, a back-end developer, to, to do that kind of thing. It's also accessible for mobile developers. And what's nice about it, um, the way that IntelliJ IDEA has, whenever you have a feature, um, it, there is a, a, the plugin that, that comes with um, with Ktor has example code for you. Um, so, for example, if you were to use authentication, like maybe it's JWT or some people say JOT, um, like JOT tokens, um, it would give you an example to go with. So some sample code example of how to get this thing implemented. And when I was first doing my Ktor application, I was struggling with that. Struggling with, um, you know, you, you feel like it's you in the docs and the docs aren't saying anything to you and you're not saying anything to the docs. You know, it's just this blank stare that you have most of the time. But it, they've really improved the documentation a lot and um, it's a lot friendlier now and I think they've been working really really hard on the Ktor documentation so it's it's looking really nice okay yeah I think I think that's really an awesome explanation because yeah I think Ktor is quite a nice framework um, for people to use and like you mentioned um, 
it's very accessible it's easy to use um and there's there's kind of a lot um there's quite a few plugins that make things a lot you don't have to go and write a lot of the stuff that maybe traditionally you might have had to write um by yourself all the complicated security stuff it kind of is just there for you to kind of just use now um and yeah i think i think um kotlin has kind of like as a language kind of embedded itself in so many different um languages or languages toolkits frameworks um i guess disciplines if we want to put it that way also um that it, it really is a language that like i definitely think that people should definitely try if they haven't tried it yet um before um but one last thing that i kind of wanted to kind of just chat about um is that technically it's still a jvm language um i know a lot of people when they probably started out kotlin they used to write something that they called java kotlin um where you pretty much like writing in kotlin but like very it's not idiomatic kotlin it's more of you just writing the java equivalent um to kind of like get your feel um for for the language itself and then you start learning a lot more um of the fun stuff um that you can do with kotlin like using the higher order functions and all these cool stuff in the standard library um that um that it provides you but i think i think one of the the most powerful things is that um today you can kind of already get started um using kotlin because because it has really great interoperability um with java um so maybe you can kind of also just like you know chat to us and tell us like what like that interoperability like is it really 100% interoperable with um with java um kotlin or is there kind of like nuances or um any kind of like things we should be like okay cool that could be a deal breaker for my application if i really did want to try kotlin Yeah, so um, it is interoperable with Java, um, and thankfully so because the Java ecosystem and you know of frameworks and libraries is huge. Um, but there are a couple of uh, caveats about um, using, for example, Kotlin to Java or Java to Kotlin. Sometimes, um, like there's, for example, the one thing about like calling from Kotlin code, calling a Java thing, is that, for example, sometimes uh, there's hard keywords in Java that there isn't in Kotlin, for example, object or is or in, um, that you will have to use some backticks, and that looks kind of weird, but that's all right. Um, some other good practices to have is, for example, to annotate with nullability op- nullability annotations. So if you have, if you're um, if you're going to be kind to your Kotlin developer and you're a Java developer, um, then I would I would definitely add your nullability stuff. So, for example, if you have a function, um, you you would say like this parameter and this return type is nullable or not nullable. And there's a lot of um, uh, nullability operators out there. Um, and it's there's a few from JetBrains, and most you know there's a lot of them are supported by Kotlin. Um, then there's things like following Java Bean standards, because um, that's going to give um, Kotlin developers the ability to say, for example, if something is K 
get X, um, it would it just be like we would we would as a problem developer we would just be accessing it as X. So we would say dot X object dot X um, instead of dot get X with a with parentheses at the end. Um, calling Java, calling yeah, calling Kotlin from Java is an interesting experience. Well, it's um, I think they had to make a lot of decisions um, based on the fact that there's a lot of new functionality in there. Sometimes, you know, you also want to be kind to a Java developers, and we definitely want to um, foster, you know, a nice, a nice uh, working relationship with each other. Um, but most of the time, it has to do with adding annotations. Um, so, for example, if you have a top level function in, in Java, uh, sorry, in Kotlin. So there's no class that surrounds it. Um, and that file is called compare. Then when you call try and call it from Java, it will be called that that uh, it will be transformed into uh, the, the file will be so almost transformed into a class and that function will be a static function on that class. So what will happen is that you would have to call something like compare kt dot and then the function name and that's kind of ugly so you would use instead a jvm uh, file annotation on the cotton code to give it a nicer name and most of it is actually really annotations like for example uh, another thing is that um, in kotlin it's not required to have um, to declare your your exceptions which is wonderful and awful at the same time because you don't, you never know. Are you going to get an exception? And you, you, you don't have to handle the fact that you get an exception um, with, you know, in in in, in every case. Um, so with Java code, with calling from Java to Kotlin, you would have to annotate with add throws. Otherwise, if you try and handle it, that function um, with, you know, getting that try catch exception mechanism going, you're going to get a compilation error. So everything is handled with annotations on Kotlin side, whereas in um, Java, mostly, I think the most important thing is just making sure that you've got your nullability, operate, um, nullability stuff sorted out. I think that was also the major thing that was happening in, um, in the Android SDKs was that they were just annotating everything, going through the reams and reams of like Android stuff and annotating with um, nullability stuff. Okay, yeah. I think I think that's really, really um a great way to to kind of also explain that because I think um all those annotations kind of like going back and forth um between languages um is is kind of important and you need to kind of like figure out like how you kind of make it a good developer experience um for both parts if you do have a mixed code base um so yeah um but yeah i think from my side um that we've really spoken about a lot um i don't know if there's anything else you feel that um people should know about kotlin um or any kind of like final words that you want to kind of just say to to the peeps out there um, why they should be using Kotlin um, yeah. over over um, Java or any other language. Um, yeah. So my top tip for learning Kotlin and developing your Kotlin skills is really to check out the JetBrains Kotlin YouTube channel. 
they've got a lot of content coming out. They, for example, have a Kotlin Standard Lib Safari where they teach you more about the Standard Lib um, than what you would get by reading reams and reams of documentation. I mean, that's just really boring. And it's a really nice format. They've got Kotlin, um, Talking Kotlin, where they talk about um, the different applications of using Kotlin um, in um, various industries, in education, in data science, in all kinds of different things, graphics processing and so on. Um, and they also have, um, they have a, a lot of um, back-end stuff. They have, um, for example, they have a whole, whole series on Spring, Spring and um, back-end Mapping development. Um, so I would really recommend, and what what I see coming out now is that they are they're having those. Um, they there there are some videos coming about out about more idiomatic Kotlin code. Um, so it's it has to do with the puzzles that they develop every year. There's like this almost like an advent of code of where there's puzzles that come out and. Um, what they're doing this year is that they're um, kind of kind of showing you the solution and saying, okay, this is how you would do this in more idiomatic Kotlin code. And I think that's going to be a really great way of learning how to do better Kotlin code. But um, another two talks that were really, really great um, on writing more idiomatic Kotlin code is obviously by Yuen Dudao. Um, where she talked about um, idiomatic Kotlin Go. The, the second one was called Putting Down the Golden Hammer. I can't remember the first one, um, but they were from 2018, 2019 Kotlin Go, so you should be able to find it there. Um, then why should you use Kotlin? I think, I think you can use any language that your mind desires to use, uh, and I don't think you will ever regret learning, for example, Python or um, Rust. You know, I wanted to learn Rust for a quite a while um, or Go or whatever. Um, every language that you learn teaches you something more about programming, teaches you some wisdom about programming that you didn't know before, a style, a way of thinking, and the same goes from Kotlin, but I think you'll have so much fun with Kotlin that you'll probably not want to stop using it. Okay, well, yeah, that's awesome. Like, I think I think it is a fun language, um, and I think it's um, yeah something that I've been enjoying uh, for quite a bit of time. So I would say that um, you recommending it, um, I feel like I'm gonna recommend it, and yeah, I think. That was, um, yeah, I think I think Kotlin is something that's just really, really awesome. And the community, the Kotlin community has grown massively um, over the past few years. And I think even resources out there, I think JetBrains, like you mentioned, has quite a lot of resources but um, that are out there to actually learn Kotlin, um, look at different parts of Kotlin. But I think, yeah, um, I'll maybe link some of the, the talks and stuff that you mentioned um, in the show notes. And yeah, I mean, I think that was really, really awesome. Um, where where can people find you on the interwebs? I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter at Pamela A Hill, and my blog is on PamelaAHill.com. 
so you can find me there. Okay, awesome. Well, yeah, thanks so much, Pam, for coming and talking with Apples today. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, and yeah, I think um, this will teach a lot of people out there a lot about Kotlin and what it has to offer. And hopefully we have converted a few listeners um, to pretty much start using Kotlin in the future. So yeah, thanks so much for coming on this evening. Thank you. It was awesome chatting to you. Thank you. Cool. Cheers, mate. Thank you for joining us on Talking with Apple's podcast. Cheers.